dribbly goalkeepers could be the future. I really like this, like, like an extreme false nine. This will be a YouTube video. I'm going to call it now. I have to, yeah. Footballers becoming goalkeepers, like outfield players becoming goalkeepers. Well, so defence will go back to rigid structures at the back to try and just stop. You do your thing on the ball and we'll just wait for you to come and then we'll hit you on the counter. Mate, exactly. Like, it never ends. Right then, people. Different kind of podcast here. This is uh, an awesome one. This is an amazing one. And if you are following me on YouTube, you're probably following this dude as well. We, uh, I, I reached out to him because I was worried people thought he thought I was copying him. But, but he was lovely and we started chatting and then we nearly met up in person last week to, to do this exact video, but we're going to have to do it remotely. But it's not the end of the world because we're going to go through what we think could be the sort of the next moments in tactical trends in 2024. Now, some of these things are a bit pie in the sky. Some of these things feel a bit far fetched, but I think that's part of the fun of all of it. And also, I think an important thing here is that I think context is really important. And when I was trying to think up of a few different things, and we've got about five or six different ideas that we're going to talk about, I was thinking people will easily turn their nose up at this episode. And if you are one of those, then fine, feel free to be cynical. But I think the context is important because when I was thinking about different tactics, what I was thinking about was the fact that actually one of the most important things within a tactic is what's in the minds of the opposition because over the years people have played football in different ways people have wanted to do different things and often when you're playing football it's about knowing what the opposition wants to do and making them do what makes them feel uncomfortable or taking them into places that they don't want to be and so there's a few here that I think one for example you could just go well that's a box-to-box midfielder and I go, well, no, it's kind of not. And we're making up new shiny words for them as well. So it's all just a bit of fun. But as I say, Cormac, uh, who is football, otherwise known as Football Meta on YouTube, uh, is joining me for this one. Cormac, how are you, mate? Mate, I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. Been a big fan of your content for years. So, yeah, really excited to 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 be on this. Yeah, this is a bit of a love-in, guys, because, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm, st- I'm blown away that Cormac's one watching my stuff, two even bothered about that. <laughs> but three, but three, I was just a huge fan of of the content that um, that Cormac makes. So if you aren't subscribed to him and you are into sort of the tactical side of football, uh, Cormac, maybe just tell people about your story in terms of uh, how you've sort of got got to this place and what you do outside of the YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, I started, uh, I guess, from university, I studied sports psychology. And then while I was at university, I started working uh, as a performance an- analyst uh, as an internship with uh, the local club. Uh, and then from there, I just kind of fell in love with uh, analyzing football, working for football clubs. Uh, so I moved back to Italy, which is where I grew up. It's where I live now. Uh, and then from there, I started working for a youth team, started working for uh, a couple of academies, including Lazio under 19, which so probably maybe the highlight of my career outside of YouTube. Uh, but then it was when I was, um, it was during the pandemic when the seasons all got shut down. So I was like, I need to find something to do to keep me busy. So I was like, oh, let me just try this YouTube thing. Watching a lot of YouTubers and from there, yeah, it just kind of picked off. Never realized it would take off to kind of what the numbers that it's doing now. But yeah, obviously yeah. really enjoying the journey and just good fun. Yeah, It's, it's amazing, amazing, man. And you know, yeah, you said, you know, you said on the phone the other day, oh, you, you know, you're an inspiration. And I was thinking, is it inspiration or is it like, if this guy <laughs> can talk about tactics, then surely there's a space in the market for me. How no, have I've you found, how have you found making tactical videos and how, and the response to it? Because it, it and talk, talking about trends in terms of content trends, uh, I think there's always a, a desire to sort of level up. And uh, for those of you watching on Spotify, we've got the we've got the tactics board here that we're going to use uh, when we talk about some of these different things. So if you want to see that, you can do uh, on Spotify. But the sort of leveling up of content and how it looks, I think, has really gone through the roof in the last year. But m- even more so than that, the necessity, I think, for creators to speak in tactical terms is... I've I've really seen it personally. I feel like there's so many people what I kind of look at and I go, you weren't talking like this at all a little while ago. And now they now they all kind of are, which I think is a, is a good thing because I think it's a, you know, you, 
evolve or die. It's that kind of idea. To to quote Emma Hayes, uh, who was chatting about Joey Barton, that's a different podcast uh, last week. But so have, have you, as someone who had watched YouTube, is that something that you could see there was a clear gap in the market? And how do you feel about the fact that there's a lot of people talking about tactics now? Uh, no, I didn't really look at it as in there was a gap in the market. I just watched it because I was really interested in the content, whether it was uh, your channel or any other like football tactics channels. I just really enjoyed those videos. So from my perspective, it was like, oh, maybe I can do something like this as well because I think I would enjoy doing it. But it was never, uh, I'm better than these people. I think I can do better. No, that, was no, never, <laughs> that never crossed my mind. Um, but yeah, I think it's good that the tactics scene is growing. I mean, it definitely has, especially I've noticed that even since, since I started, the football tactics content has really gone up quite exponentially. There's so many more channels mm-hmm. doing it now. Uh, but I think that's good, especially for us. I think more eyes uh, on this sector is always good fun. Uh, and I don't see it as we're competing with each other. I just feel like we're all adding to the conversation of uh, how football is changing and how football is evolving. Yeah, I love that. I think that's yeah, that's exactly the attitude when it comes to all this stuff. Do, do you feel the pressure to sort of, you know, to to find these new things? Do you feel, feel that as a pressure or do you just get excited by that? Uh, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's a pressure. Trying to keep up with the trends. <laughs> it's, it's really difficult, especially football, because it takes me, I don't know how long it takes you to make your videos and everything, but like I usually, it takes me about at least a week to, to like plan out the video and, and upload it. And in that time, mm. I've spoken about a team and they've already lost two games before I upload. Yeah, and it's, it's heartbreaking. Like, oh, it's already aged. It's not, it's not going well. Yeah, and it, it is tricky. See, you know, the first world problems of uh, a tactical YouTube. Right, so um, so let's let's dive into this. What we're going to do is put forward a few few different ideas. Me and brother Kai, who is with us as well. Say hello, Kai. You there? Hi, guys. There he is. There's brother Kai. So me, it's, I think the one thing I would say is... So, I guess the the great thing that I'm fortunate enough to have is is Kai. So me and Kai would we just spent about an hour going, oh, what's you know what I've got this idea and that idea and and then oh, okay, well that kind of leads to this and that. So so that's what's kind of uh, created this. But what I'm excited about is to bring your dialogue into this uh, and 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 put forward some ideas. So one final question is, what do you feel like have been the big trends? this year and 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 when you are sort of looking for new stuff what is your what is your process when it comes to that there's a few things i think the biggest one i'm noticing uh in possession is how teams are using their fullbacks i don't know if you've noticed this as well but especially for sure. even Postacoglu at spurs or trent with liverpool there's so many different ways that fullbacks are being integrated into different systems that they almost i feel like the term fullback is a little bit outdated because they don't really just like in my eyes a traditional fullback is someone who overlaps hugs the touchline and then just maybe crosses into the box but i'd say 90 percent of fullbacks don't really do that anymore most of the time they come into the center they try and link up play with the holding midfielder they're acting as a double pivot there's so many different ways that they do it and even different subtleties in how managers want to use their fullbacks that i think their Mm. role is super interesting especially this season and then i think defensively as well there's quite a few innovations going on or not really innovations but i feel like the whole trend of teams, and I've got a few statistics that maybe back this argument up a little bit, but I feel like teams, a few seasons ago, it was all you have to high press, you have to push up as much as possible. But it does seem as if more and more, as more teams commit more players forward, the defending teams are like, okay, maybe we just need to sit back a little bit more and impact mm. our shape a little bit more. I think that's what you're seeing with teams uh, even across Europe, they're maybe not so high scoring, but they're doing really well because they're defending well. Like an example with Nice in, in France, they're doing really well. They're, they maybe win their games 1-0, 2-1. They don't score much, but they just don't concede. And that does seem to be a little bit of a trend that that's coming back, like an emphasis on defensive shapes. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and that kind of comes back to my point, which is, all that matters is what the other player's thinking. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so back in the day when you had, you had a sort of simple four four two, you would, it would be much simpler because you had you had a big man and you had a little man, and the big man you knew they were going to play the ball long, and so this whole midfield area. I, I talked to my dad a lot about football, and he, he talks about how back in the day it was just a case of your midfield was you, you have your two, they have their two, you figure out your numbers early on. 
And then from there, a lot of the time, the ball is just going from one, one end to the other. Where's my ball on here? Here it is. The ball is just going from one side to the other, bypassing the midfield all the time. And you've got a centre forward who's trying to, to, to flick it on. Or if it's not, then it's going to be, the ball's going to be dropped into these the areas just in front of them. And so you as a midfielder needs to pick up on those scraps and probably hook it on down the other end. So that's that's such a big part of it. And like you say, in terms of pressing being a big part of football, and the same with fullbacks, I think. I think the, the fullback thing for me is this desire to protect the centre of the pitch. And previously, it would have been a case of when you're playing football, you sort of, that in that build-up phase, you are as wide as possible. And you sort of go out to go in to maybe go out again. Whereas now it feels like a much easier, probably quicker route to getting to into the final third and importantly, probably one-on-one in the final third is to go in to allow yourself to then then go wide after that. So I, I think that's part of the, the, the fullback element. And also obviously overloading a central area, which I think in the games that we've seen, say for example, Arsenal Man City, Arsenal Man City, the whole game felt like it was played in between the 18-yard box because I think there was a lot of concern about about those areas. And because these that's the other thing, these teams are so good on the ball and you're playing on a carpet that to be able to break through lines through the centre of the pitch is a powerful thing to do. Would you agree? Oh, definitely, yeah. It does seem... Yeah, teams are trying to go down the middle a lot more frequently uh, compared to a few seasons ago. Uh, and I think, yeah, that is a lot down to the fullbacks as well, especially if you look during build-up as well, maybe a few seasons ago. It's something Man United do, which I kind of don't really enjoy too much, but they have their fullbacks really deep when they when they mm-hmm. build from the back. And I just feel like having that wider structure in the first phase, it just makes it easier for the team to force you out wide and then you kind of lose possession because it's harder to progress. But if you look at Postacoglu, I know their recent games other than their last game haven't been the best due to injuries and everything but their fullbacks they're they're nowhere to be seen during build-up they're well not nowhere to be seen but they're obviously in the center of the pitch slightly further up and there's just no Mm. no players even man city uh arsenal do this quite a lot there's just no players in the first phase of build-up out wide they're already pushing Mm. up they're already closer to midfield and it just means yeah with the goalkeeper which is something we're going to talk about as well they're just trying to push through the center as much as possible and get the play, get the ball into their dangerous players up top as quickly as possible. Yeah, to allow yourself to cut through, right? And uh, yeah, absolutely. I, me and Kai were actually talking about that the other day. It was, uh, that was, there was a goal and I, I tweeted it and I used this uh, thing, <laughs> I used this phrase that I, I, I kind of wanted to vomit. Um, so I even put the vomit emoji on it, which was a philosophy goal, which I've said to, I've said to sort of Kai and, and, and in content quite often because the... The goal comes from Udogi and um, Poro sort of playing in, playing in those inverted positions. And because of that, there is a passing lane through. And then after that, Udogi, who's the one who scores the goal in that instance, he's able, you actually have a, a box that is totally flooded by the end of it because, again, of the philosophy of it. And actually, in the build-up phase of it, I think it's quite interesting because sometimes... To, the the biggest thing is almost having the gumption to stand where they want to stand and again there's sort of there's been a lot of conversation about Ange Postacoglu and this philosophy and do you back up on the philosophy and I think the reason why the ripple effect to bring back to the podcast of really digging your heels in with the, the philosophy is that again the opposition will kind of start to know what you're going to do which will possibly facilitate you a little bit more um but otherwise there's teams like Liverpool and Trent and they're they're still in a place where they haven't totally sort of they've they're they're battling between the two ideas of one wanting to play through but I think they want to play quickly uh, in the build-up phase and that's why I I uh and I think we're gonna we're gonna do something for your channel chatting about Trent but I think in the build-up phase Trent doesn't actually pick up the ball off the back line as much as he probably would want to for that reason. So all these different philosophies kind of make make a big uh, part in all, all of this. Let's get into some tactical trends then. So first one, now, we this was um, revealed... On the ripple effect, quite some time ago, Cormac. 
because what we we were saying that David Raya, um, Arteta was talking about David Raya and Ramsdale and the difference between those two guys. And what we were saying was that, well, if Arteta feels like there's a real difference between these two guys, what on earth is that? And in the future, what will be the ripple effect of that? And we said at that point, we said dribbly goalkeepers could be the future because you might want to be able to kind of break through a press or something like that. And so that is the first tactical trend that I kind of want to put forward here because the this idea that a lot of teams are sort of playing with a, a a box and a lot of teams want to press man for man a lot of the time and a lot one method of bypassing the first phase of the press is to use the goalkeeper as as a progressor so what are your initial thoughts on this when you when you saw dribbly goalkeepers or ball carrying goalkeepers is that something that you straight away went yeah that's something that could be or does that feel like something that's quite far fetched at this moment uh, no, not far-fetched at all. Uh, I think that was one of the main reasons why uh, Man United was so adamant on getting Onana in as well uh, as a replacement for De Gea because of his ball-playing ability and because if you watched into last season, a lot of the times he would just push forward, not necessarily dribbling the 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 two try or the opposition's press, but he definitely would add these numbers in the first phase of build-up. Uh, and I think that's kind of a bit of a downfall for what Man United have faced this season is that he hasn't really done this. He hasn't really been as good as expected during this first phase of build-up. So they've really struggled. But I do see how, yes, teams are relying on goalkeepers more and more often. You definitely need a ball-playing goalkeeper in the modern game just to, even just to be able, if they do press high up, uh, to be able to pick out the the players up top with a long ball. Even the long ball, in a, in a sense, does seem to be kind of making a little bit of a comeback. Uh, compared mm-hmm. to the few uh, compared to a few seasons ago, but I think I don't know how well maybe the audience would take it because say maybe a, a, <laughs> the goalkeeper starts the dribble, it's successful one or two times, but as soon as he loses the ball, then I feel like the whole right. social media would get on his back and it would get clicked quite a lot. But it's definitely something that it because there's no way to stop the overload of a goalkeeper because you're not going to start pressing with your goalkeeper. So you're always going to have that man advantage. So if you can integrate him more successfully and you can get him to gain ground and push forward, then it is going to be really, really difficult for the opposition to stop. Yeah, I agree. That's a great, that's a really interesting point. The idea that you've got a problem with the fact that the the crowd could get in the way of all of this. So to explain this a little bit more, and actually we saw it uh, in a recent match between Liverpool and Crystal Palace, where Alisson was just sort of like dribbling and dribbling and dribbling and dribbling. And I think the idea here is that, and you will have seen this with Edison a lot of the time, where Edison will be one that sort of steps in and actually often it kind of turns into a bit of a four. Um, Hang on, let me get rid of that. Often it will come into a bit of a four. and, And that's fine. But Edison at no point has the desire and I think probably the physical capabilities to just drive through. And if he was able to drive through, it would open up a lot. And again, I think there's a lot of uh, calling of bluff here when it comes to, to the goalkeepers. And I think the thing with this being a trend in 2024, this will be a YouTube video. I'm going to call it now. Someone, and it'll probably be, call Matt, because you know, we've alerted him to it now. You can have this one. I have to, yeah. Call, it, call this your fee. Um, because, because I think what will happen is it won't be in the, I don't think it'll be in the Premier League because I think it needs to, it needs to be the right profile and you have to be ready to dribble. That's the big thing when it comes to these goalkeepers. Obviously, it's in the title, dribbly goalkeepers. But if you are able to break through, the passing, you know, you obviously take players out of the game and the amount of passing lanes that it takes. Or if you have other people that want to come and press to you as well, that's another way of taking people out of the game as well. So it is an obvious tactic to do. You know, we've seen it in a much simpler scale with John Stone's... uh, for Man City or you know any of these inverted players that are moving from one position to another it's something that feels a little bit alien and it isn't in the initial plan of the team of the opponent in terms of stopping them so when you know John Stones or you know this has been going on for years and this is what I mean you know context is important you know if you think of a Libero who would dribble out with the ball Ronald Koeman back in the day that that would happen that's fine but this is the next level of that and I think when we've seen the amount that goalkeepers are 
getting on the ball, the amount of touches they're having, the, the amount of times that they're looking to, to bait the press a lot of the time so that you can literally play through that first line of defence. The only thing they're afraid of is coming out of their goal. And I just think this is inevitable. I'm not sure what division it will be. I don't know where it will be, but across Europe somewhere, you'll have a guy who is, is good enough. And if he's good enough, I think the big thing to remember is that you're playing on a carpet. We did a video yesterday talking about Aston Villa and their offside line and the fact that they've got, they're having 74 offsides to the next best, which is 48. That is also, that's another one just to chuck in there. You know, a little bonus one for you there, guys. So if you are enjoying that, then hit the follow button for me. But the, 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 the fact is, is that you've got to use your environment and your surroundings around you. So say with an offside with Aston Villa, they know they've got VAR. Liverpool have done this before to, you know, to a similar extent. Tottenham are doing it as well. And that desire to be able to make the game compact as well allows you to press and it allows less spaces for, for players to make the ball through. So you need every single body that you can have. But you're going to need... The thing that's going to hold it up is the profile of the goalkeeper. Because if you just ask Nick Pope to start dribbling out, it's just not fair. Like It's just not fair. So you're going to need to find that goalkeeper. I mean, is there a goalkeeper that stands out for you that like, you think is capable of that? Like Edison obviously is so, he's almost press, he's very press proof in terms of being able to play those lovely passes. But in terms of being able to dribble with the ball, we've just not seen it, have we? We've literally not seen goalkeepers dribble with it. The, the clip that comes to mind uh, for me is like Barthez back in like the 2000s where he's just carrying the ball into midfield. But obviously kind of different because he wasn't really being pressed and the opposition was like, I, I have no idea what's going on right now. But you probably get the yeah. same effect. The first few times that a goalkeeper would do it, uh, the, I, I can imagine the opposition would have no idea what they need to do if they see the goalkeeper rushing them. But like you were saying as well, because they are playing on a carpet, like even centre-backs, goalkeepers, if they're not under pressure or if there is space, they rarely misplace a pass. So the precision of the passes probably wouldn't be the issue. So if the goalkeeper mm. can break through and remove two players from the game just by dribbling past them, then the chances of him losing the ball are quite slim in my eyes. It just yeah, depends when true. does he stop. <laughs> does he just keep going? Does he go past midfield as well? Or... I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's through that. F- you're trying to get through that first phase, aren't you? Yeah, the first I think that's line, the thing. So you want to break. Yeah, the f- exactly. Sorry, the first line. So if you are able to get through that first line, then again you're gonna you're gonna draw out you're gonna draw out a lot of people, which essentially is do you know these these goalkeepers goalkeepers are doing exact same thing just in a different line. So especially if a team you were talking about the the possibility that high pressing will will kind of decrease a little bit again because the the cat and mouse nature of football where people are starting to understand that that's happening and actually you've got you've got Brighton you've got the you've got the incredible Queens Park Rangers looking to bait teams out to come out so that you leave all that space that's in behind as well. Because that's, I think that's the big thing that I've sort of been really sort of zoning in on recently is that positional, a positional play that you see with a goalkeeper who has the, has the ball at the back and it brings in all these other players, but it sucks in a lot of players. Like I saw it at the weekend with QPR where that the team wants to to press they kind of know what's happening but importantly the mid the the free attackers for the opposition stay on the halfway line and if they stay on the halfway line then that means there's a massive space in the middle of the pitch and if there's a massive space in the middle of the pitch and you're able to get the ball to an Ilias chair who's our guy who's like a little number 10 you've got a guy there in a load of space that even if he's got someone marking him He's got the ability to get a turn off and play in players. And all of a sudden, you've got three on three or five on five or something like that, which are odds that you like. And and you've all got a load of space to work with as well. I think that's the other thing. That's the difficulty for... And that's, I think, what, what you have seen in terms of the change recently with, say, a Man City, is how can they get the ball to central players quickly with a bit of space to work with as well? Because teams... For a long time, I think teams were sitting back, but because of the way that Man City were playing, they, they owned the ball, they owned the game, and the game was being played literally in the 18-yard box. And there is still a lot of that. But transitional football is... I think people really understand the power of that now. And so at, at any stage, it's the starting point of that. It's the sort of the gun being set off 
to start a move is is crucial. And so a goalkeeper having the capability of doing that is something that definitely I I see happening. I think, as I say, I keep coming back to that. Again, you can be quick, but that doesn't mean you're, you're that doesn't mean you're quick dribbling with the ball. Like it is such a dangerous thing. But they are playing on carpets now, so I don't see it as I don't see there being an excuse. And I feel like there's too much of an opportunity there for them not to to buy into that. It just feels like a tap in for me. Yeah, um, it does seem like it would work. If if you do find the right goalkeeper, someone with enough courage to just do it and try it and a manager that allows him to, to have this freedom to push up, then I think, especially at the start, it could be extremely dangerous. Uh, going back yeah. to what you're saying about uh, like counter-press as well and like transitional football as well, when I was looking at some statistics to try and see about uh, pressing intensity and like, team structure, so it does seem like teams are slightly less eager to press forward, but counter-pressing has massively increased in uh, especially in the Premier League I was looking across other leagues but in the Premier League now the the numbers like the top five are doing the same numbers that maybe five years ago maybe one team was in doing these numbers but now really counter pressing is just so much more important and teams are looking to play on transition so much more frequently that that is a big part of the game now as well so if you can yeah create overloads and stop teams from doing this then it's definitely something that I think teams will look to explore Yes. And do you know what's a great point, actually, there? In terms of that counter-press, often, well, I guess, less so counter-press. And actually, uh, Fifuentes, the QPR manager, is talking about uh, some people have their different um, amounts of seconds that they want to continue to attempt to counter-press before getting their shape back. And he said, you know, often people kind of talk, I think they talk about sort of three seconds of fury or five seconds of fury or whatever it might be. He said, he said I like six or seven. <laughs> so, okay, wow. Uh, but also sort of triggers, pressing triggers is a big part of this. And that's possibly where the even more pressure is put on the goalkeepers because as you say, that first game when the goalkeeper comes through and everyone's like, what is he doing? What are we supposed to do? That's that's one moment. But what will probably come to pass is, and I guess, this is the, again, the cat and mouse of, of, of pressing in football now is that people will go, well, let's, oh, he's the trigger. <laughs> when you see his body movement go, go, you know, up a notch in terms of him trying to make that run, into that space get him <laughs> that's what that's what will happen right uh yeah i would expect that you'd probably want to go for the goal because if you can win it off him then you basically have a tap it so it's extremely yeah. high risk high reward um so if you do find a way of forcing the goalkeeper into a tight spot then it's definitely that would be the winning move i just don't know mm. how or how would you approach that would you have your, so he's just broken past the first line of press. Would you then have these two strikers running him down? Or would you try and close him down from the front and try and block off any more forward options? So you could probably mm. end up with like four players slowly closing in on him, which is maybe what they want if they have a goalkeeper that can do this. Because if, if he draws in all the pressure but still finds the pass, then that's worked perfectly. Yeah. And so I guess the ripple effect here is that the price of a goalkeeper, the right goalkeeper... Is going to go through the roof, and what you might also see, and, and so this was a thing that I think, I think maybe Australia did it first, and then the UK certainly did it, and I think China did it as well, where they for the Olympics when they hosted the Olympics, they looked to transfer skills. So the, if you've got someone who is really really fast, but not fast enough to be a hundred meter runner, pop them in a bobsleigh. <laughs> And see if you can win. See if you're going to win a medal that way, you know. Being or if you can go and find people that are six foot four that have never played volleyball for, before, but they've got they're a good tennis player, for example. They've got good hand-eye coordination. Then again, you can move them and and teach them and give them the right coaching, and you can maybe get them up to a level that where again you can win some some medals. So what I, we could also see is, I, I think you could see you know, footballers becoming goalkeepers, like outfield players becoming goalkeepers. Because that's the, the sort of save element of it, the goalkeeping element of it, and goalkeepers will scream at me here. But I wonder if that's an easier thing to pick up than, say you've got an Irish guy who's an amazing rugby player, but he's an amazing footballer as well, and he's a right back, and he's six foot two. Get him in goal. <laughs> Get him in goal, let Ends him dribble, because it... it, it yeah, because you'd be able to make, 
you could probably build up those skills if he's played Gaelic football or rugby or whatever it might be. So I think we could see that. And also, yeah, the, the price of the price of goalkeepers could go up if they are that starting point. Yeah, it does seem in, especially in like football, in player development, there is this theme of uh, maybe there's a young player, he's like six or seven and he's a really good striker. But then as these players get older and they're still like good players, the, the trend does seem to be that they slowly get put into deeper and deeper position. So that's why like strikers are so hard to come by because they usually start as strikers and they're so good at being goal scorers that yeah. they just stay strikers. But then there's other players that start as strikers and then maybe they can't finish as well. So they put as playmakers and then maybe they transition to holding midfielders. And then that's how you end up with defenders and right backs. So it, it wouldn't be too far-fetched to maybe suggest he just does one step further, <laughs> ends up in goal and then work on the goaling aspect of it as well. But I don't know. I think, yeah, we should definitely shouldn't underestimate the importance of being a shot stopper as well. Because that's kind of what Man United seem to have faced this season. They got rid of an excellent shot stopper for someone who, in theory, has better ball playing ability. And that's, that's definitely not paying off. Well, totally. Yeah. I guess it's the sum of the parts, isn't it, as well? Like if, if everyone's committed to it. Again, I think you wonder if you wonder what Ange would be doing with that Man United squad. Because I think sometimes the philosophy and again the gumption to go and do things and be brave enough to do them can lead to um yeah, you kind of playing with the heads of the opposition a little bit. I don't think that's happening with Man United. I think there's there has been for too long a bit of a fear factor there. I think that's part that's part of the problem when it comes to that. Right, let's move forward to Space Invaders. Uh, this is what we call we call box I mean there's a lot of chat about box crashes but we were suggesting this idea of space invaders now again this is one where it's it's one where I think the big one where we've seen it so in terms of box crashing players we've seen this a lot with uh, Scott McTominay we've seen it with Conor Gallagher I think there's a lot of talk about when there's been over the last few months where there's been a sort of clamoring to find a positive for Kai Havertz for Arsenal, it's been it's been that he that is what he can offer that no one else in the Arsenal team can offer is that ability sort of to crash the box and and make their make the way into the box and be that extra man again sort of overloads are kind of everywhere now and and also everyone can see where everyone should be I think in football more so than ever which we'll talk about that as well in some at some point. But the the box crashes sort of the McTominay one was the one that I think really kind of pulled it into focus for me. And it's those players that are maybe playing in part of a midfield three right now, but with an understanding of the positions of so many players, if there's an opportunity for more of these players that again have a certain skill set that's going to take out certain players. Uh, but the Space Invaders is, is kind of part of this as well. So the idea here is that Say Bruno Fernandes, and we saw it time and time again, Garnacho was staying nice and wide in the game against Chelsea. And Bruno Fernandes was working over to this side a hell of a lot. And the reason he was kind of doing that, I think at times, was to sort of bring a, a good few amount of the players over to sort of deal with him. And then in time, that led to Scott McTominay, who is supposedly part of a double pivot, or certainly a couple of years ago, it was him and Fred. You wouldn't have thought of him being making his way into the box. But if you watch a Man United game now, what you're seeing time and again is his desire and freedom to get himself into the box because he can go and affect the game. And I think the thing that, I guess we're sort of maybe packaging it up in a sort of fancy way here. But I think the idea overall is the fact that players that you think are in one position completely going into a different position. It, the same way of spinning it is, an, is suggesting it's a bit of an overload, I think, more, more than anything. But the sort of that, again, that if you have someone like Bruno Fernandes going to an area that you're not really expecting him to and it sucks over a few players, it then can lead space for someone who you wouldn't expect to be in that space. I think that's definitely the way it's going is the, the this increasing trend towards overloads. And I think the, the muddying of the waters, like you said as well, of between relationism and positionism so teams wanting to create these clusters of players on one side of the pitch and then when you least expect it maybe trying to switch play into another mm -hmm. player it's something that Bayern Leverkusen are doing really well this season so they have their their double pivot of 
Xhaka uh, and Palacios, and they'll start probably similar structure to what you'd see at Brighton with like the two the two holding the fielders in a close position, helping like link up play in the first phase. But then as soon as they're able to break the first line, one of them will push forward and add a number between the midfield line and the defensive line. One of them will even push up and maybe act as like a second striker alongside the striker. But I think mm-hmm. what's interesting about this is how, again, going back to the relationship between defense and attack, it's that the way teams are defending is starting to change as well. So I think it was what uh, Spalletti said when he was at Napoli is that lines aren't really a thing anymore. You're starting to get uh, like players that need to recognize the space between the players and not necessarily between the lines. So I think something like this where the players are getting closer and closer together on one side of the pitch does lead to more of these unexpected runs into other position. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree with you. The, the lie, that's such a great point because even say another thing that we've, we sort of saw at the start of the season, I would say, or we, I mean, we were talking about it uh, and this is, this is Kai completely at the start of the season was saying, he said, I think Man City are going to play four, two up top. And I was like, go on. And then start talking about it. It's again, again, a bit of insight into our process that we often like, we just go, okay, let's talk about this. Well, now nah, that doesn't, I'm not having it, Kai. Like, it doesn't make sense. Or I'll put, for, you know, because me and Kai kind of see the game the same way. And, and then, but then we kind of realized that, yeah, you're kind of going to want to bring Alvarez in, or there's going to have to be a sort of a tweak and a change to it uh, with De Bruyne sort of um, losing, you know, I guess his physical prowess as much as anything else. But like you say, that's, that's a similar thing is that the idea that it's kind of the opposite as well. And as I say, you can contradict yourself throughout this podcast. So just be kind with us. But someone like Alvarez, we'll get, this is what we'll kind of get to. It's kind of the opposite of it where, again, you think you actually think you're playing um, two up top. And that at times that is happening and that's kind of occupying and to to keep honest the, the two centre backs or whoever those defenders are. But again, it's about then stepping into a different area of the pitch. And the same you see with sort of off a lot of the time you see Bernardo Silva step into it and it becomes a, a four and Haaland's up top there on his own. So and or you might swap Alvarez and he might make his way over there. And again, if it's say we're thinking about say like a Liverpool, the rotation between Sabozlai, Trent and Salah at times is incredible. So I think that is almost a, what I'll be interested to see as a tr- possible trend next year is how we discuss formations because they're, they're kind of dying, if that makes sense, because they're not they're just not what they are. You know, it, and it's not it's in possession, it's out possession. If certain players got the ball, it's like you know the mid block, or is it? Are you pressing high? Were you pressing high because this person got the ball? It's there's so much intricacy now. There's so many different formations now. It's that could be something that we kind of come to see, but I think we're we're in the last few moments. And this is one thing I did want to say to you. I'll ask you the forefront of of tactical trends for me this year i have really noticed that it's pep does something everyone everyone sees it everyone follows pep does something everyone sees it everyone kind of follows it does the roots coming back to to pep to cruyff to that you know barcelona way uh, is often often the case but do you feel like do you agree with that because I think, say, say what we're seeing with uh, McTominay and you're allowing him as a, a sort of second striker, um, Madison, uh, and obviously Alvarez is the f- probably the first one this season. Prior to that, everyone's thinking, okay, I need a six now. And I need, everyone's, everyone's battling over sixes this, this summer. But Man City were already ahead in that, in that uh, department, obviously. And their ideas are their their, their uh, defense as well. They're a bit more structured and a bit more set in stone as well. So he's kind of always a step ahead. It feels like. I think up to now, especially the past ten, fifteen years, however long Guardiola has been dominant, uh, it's definitely been like that. It's been Guardiola does something, and then eventually that kind of becomes the norm. I think the, for example, like the inverted fullback. I know uh, people say exactly like Postecoglou did that before him as well, but. It, Arguably, Guardiola is the one who made it popular. He made it the 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 trend, the the standard in European football. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. Are you trying to, what you're what you're trying to say? Which I think is a fair point is that sometimes the person who originally did it doesn't have the world watching them the way that yeah the yeah exactly. So exactly. it has yeah. more of a of a knock on effect to it to everyone else. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we are witnessing a little bit of a 
a change in philosophy and a change in the dominant school and dominant uh, idea of how football should be played. I think, again, uh, we mentioned the, the relationship between defense and attack consistently throughout this video, but the way teams have kind of figured out positionism to a certain point now, like they know that players are going to want to attack the half space. They know which players need to uh, compensate for these runs in behind. So that's changing. So the way teams need to attack as well is changing as well. And you are getting these slightly more fluid structures of you still kind of end up with the five players on the defensive line. Like you, you can still recognize shapes. So yes, the team still maybe starts on a 4-2-3-1, transitions into a 2-3-5 or 3-1-6, whatever you want to call it. But it is getting more and more fluid uh, per game. Like one team will not use the same structure uh, every time they attack. Maybe sometimes it's a 2-3-5, then it's a 3-1-6. And it's just the players need to recognize when the spaces are available, what runs they need to make. Yeah. And, it's, and, and that's probably because we can all see it, right? We can all, I think so, like, yeah. They, yeah. It's so all there for us. You know, you can pop onto Scout and you can, or, you know, others are available. And you can watch clips of everyone or just go on YouTube and you can see clips of everyone all the time. So nothing's, nothing's sacred for long anymore. Uh, it's just if you want to get, give up on your plans to, to sort of then find these new plans, which is an exactly. age old thing, I think. I don't know how, if tactics are going to speed up as well. So now, because every, everyone knows everything about everyone, about every team that you're facing, does that mean that every two seasons, three seasons, we're going to start getting a shift from attack to defense, from defense to attack? Or is it still going to take the usual 10, 15 years that it seems to take for it to really yeah. settle in and, and change? I, I, I think you're right with the first one. I think it's it moving so quick. I think it's moving so quick. And, and I think people are they're brave enough to give it a go if, it, if they can really identify with it. Uh, because I think, yes... It feels like a lot of some tactics have kind of been washed away, uh, and I think that, like you say, so that muddying the muddying of positional is positional play, sorry, and relationism leading to possibly more players who have that free role uh, is something that I think is interesting here. So it's a mix of the two because I think positional play is one; those two are the two that remain. It feels like sort of long ball football. I think overall is really you know, feels like it's really struggling and is quite easy to sort of uh, to deal with, basically. But this idea of a, a free roll, and again, I think it comes back to what we're talking about in terms of this this sort of second striker. And say McTominay was speaking in a previous idea that him or a Conor Gallagher or uh, a Decore as well, and we'll talk about him in a second because I think there's something interesting there, but th that you need a second guy now to kind of help out, especially with so much uh, possibility through the central areas, which is a lot of team, what a lot of teams want to be able to kind of do. So again, you want people to be able to move into those different areas. But with the positional understanding that coaches and players alike have, I think, the and I'm buzzing for this, I want this to be a thing, is that I think that there'll be more Madisons. I think there'll be more of these roaming players and that, that mix. Again, say Bellingham being able to kind of go wherever he wants to go because those sort of quick fire, quick fire overloads is often a thing that people kind of want. Because I think, again, the defensive side can spot, they can support, spot a, an overload when everyone sort of trots over to the, okay, we're all going over to this left-hand side. But when Madison comes, I think it was the game against Luton, maybe, or I can't remember which game it was, but he would, he would pop up in absolutely all areas of the pitch to come and help out, to create, okay, let's have a little conversation here. Boom, boom, pop, pop uh, players out. You've got Sarah on the other side, who's ready to kind of make that run when he sees Madison go and get involved. And, and that freedom that he has to go and kind of problem solve when he knows the landscape, but I feel like a lot of teams are kind of almost imprisoned by the landscape of their formations a little bit. I think that will be more and more of a thing in the next, in 2024. I think the, the rise of number 10s, I think will, be, will become more regular, especially in teams where, so again, I'm going to use QPR as an example. QPR as a team were all over the place, right? And the, the idea was that there was no quality there. 
But what we're doing now is we are we have a very clear identity of how we want to play and retain the ball. We're using the pitch and making the pitch as big as possible. And that allows for our two best players, who are these sort of number 10 kind of guys, to get on the ball. And the more we're able to facilitate that and get the ball to them, they then can do that little bit of magic. Because that kind of leads into the relationism idea is that and Ancelotti obviously a big one with this with with Bellingham is if you've got a guy who's awesome <laughs> use it let, let's have yeah use him like have an element of structure but then go James Madison Jude Bellingham go do your thing like go go and get involved I wonder with someone like a Phil Foden what a shame it is that he doesn't really get that freedom and I, do you think Pep would ever make that step and sort of kind of soften the positional play and, well, and just, allow that freedom just switch to one Attacking midfielder kind of player in the... I think they kind of have it. I think their guy who's allowed to do it is their sort of... Their master of it all, which is Bernardo Silva. Bernardo Silva often kind of be allowed to go wherever he wants to because I think he he has that total trust from Pep. So maybe they are already doing it. But in terms of that out and out, you know, attacking 10, I would, you know, I would love to see Foden have that opportunity. I just... I, I think what could be quite sad... That sounds weird, but he's obviously had a great career. What could be sad about his career is the fun that we could see him have. And I'm not sure he'll ever get that opportunity. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Pep went to something like this. I think even the the introduction of a player like Doku uh, has kind of changed the way Pep is looking to play football, especially this season as well. Like a lot more reliant on on dribbling and like individual plays as well. So I, yeah. I think, yes, he is heavily reliant on his philosophy and his style of play but if he does have a player like Bernardo Silva who can rotate it all falls into yes Bernardo Silva rotates but then the other players rotate around him and then it always falls into a structure there's always a pattern that they are trying to create so I don't know if you'd ever shift away to you can do whatever you want regardless of where your positioning is because I don't even think a player that plays for Pep thinks that way I think they always are thinking that I can move here because this other player's moved here, and then that frees up space for this movement. I think they are always thinking of the bigger picture as well. But I think yeah. the example of Bellingham is is perfect, because especially just take the 4-4-2 diamond as a formation. That hasn't really been relevant for a number of years now. And the fact that Real Madrid, who are arguably the biggest club in world football, are using it and using it successfully, even though a lot of players, or a lot of fans don't seem to be too confident about it. They don't seem to think that it's going to be too effective going forward. They are using it and they are scoring even and they don't have a striker. They don't have a number nine this season, yet they are still able to create these chances because Bellingham is able to rotate, is able to create these overloads, uh, drop deep and attack him behind and just create disruption in the defensive shape. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree because I just think everyone's so drilled. Everyone is so drilled and that, that those spaces, you need to find a different way of doing it. And again, I think there is that... There's also that focus of through the middle. Like it, that that's I think often it was like, can you get the ball out wide? And actually we see it with Man City a little bit in terms of they what they have done, and again this is where he's maybe ahead of us all, is he maybe he's seen that everyone is going to focus on that central area. And so once again, can you go and get the best one on one winger in the world to be able to utilize the fact that everyone is in uh, you know everyone's, everyone's inverted everyone's in the yeah. central areas so <laughs> you then far. got a load of, yeah it's, and it's and he's spoken about it. it's like often i figure out my team up once i know what the opposition's doing and that's that is doku a little bit because doku's not really the kind of player that we've seen from pep you know his desire his willingness to sort of conform and allow him to do what he wants to do is is fascinating to me. It is uh, still it, like Doku does have the freedom, but it is still very much he is in his position at the right time. Like he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't just pop up randomly across the pitch. He is always ready for the one v one, and then yeah, he has the freedom to either dribble or look for the support in the center of the pitch. But it is still part of the bigger system of he's always out wide, always hugging the touchline. So then Man City yeah. do their thing, and then they are able to find him in space to a tank. Yeah, and it's like if you look at his heat maps, honestly, it's it's he's he's out wide here yeah. or or he is oh he's got yeah. to the byline. It's those two spots. I think it's a bit like it's a bit like Shaq. Like Shaq the whole point is like like Shaq you could say with Haaland as well, but 
dominance in a certain element of the game again is something that's not really been seen with Pep but with Haaland you know you know the size and the brilliance of him as a striker he's a bully and Doku is a similar idea so it'd be interesting I guess you need an amalgamation of of different strengths within your team and so as much as as we're recording this Man City are going through a bit of a, a tricky patch again even with their back line they've gone he, he's sort of looking at profiles and going okay well I think you said this last year. How do we win as many duels as possible? Well, let's have four massive defenders and a Fenders, guy who could play centre back, play play back playing as six. Go right, go result. Right. <laughs> You're not going to lose any. Yeah. Maybe let's say Kyle Walker. Sticking with the ten idea, multifunctional forwards. Yeah, that's right. We've got names for all these. So the idea with the multifunctional forwards, and we were talking about Decore there. So Kai Havertz as. Uh, as a multifunctional forward or a 10 that becomes a second striker. Madison as a bit more of a free role, but could, again, you have a right the right horse for the course in someone like Decore, who is a sort of low-touch 10, who, to have someone who can drive, get back, drive with the ball when he gets the ball, because it's going to be a team where, that plays on the counter-attack often with Everton. Although, Kai, feel free to jump in here. I know you've been scoring goals after 29 passes recently. So, you know, they're eating good over there at the moment on the other side. But again, the the idea of those, a different kind of player in that position. How do you, how do you feel about that one? That kind of multifunctional player that, yes, he's a 10, but he's not a 10. Conor Gallagher, a similar kind of thing as well, where I can't truly figure out what his best position is. Um, yeah, what do you think? I think, again, yeah, we that is likely to increase uh, again with the whole... Uh, you have more support from the inverted fullbacks as well. So you have this ability to free up a player further up the pitch that it can create these overloads that can rotate. So I think, I mean, even in the recent games as well, Havertz has kind of started to pick up a little bit. Maybe Arteta has found a, a position for him and this ability for him to have a slightly more free role uh, between the lines but in this space here and then uh, be a bit of a combination of what we we're talking, like a box crasher as well. Yeah. I think that could increase uh again it's it's hard to to predict it's hard to know exactly which way teams are going to go but i think that kind of player especially if you look at yeah real madrid as well and jude bellingham and this this slight return to a freer player uh across mm. europe um it wouldn't surprise me if it if it featured more frequently but, but it, it is, is interesting. interesting this could lead to the return of of the target man as well, because if you've got so, say you're a team that they're happy, you're happy to keep the ball at the back. Again, teams are better at keeping the ball than ever before. There is a space when it comes to the second striker, and again, in terms of a different kind of ten, you could look at someone like Kulusevski, who's able to get on the ball, turn, roll a player, and drive with the ball as well, which works. But that sort of normally, when you think of a target man, you actually kind of often think of them being a bit, a little bit higher up or working together as a pair. But I wonder if there could be an element where you have that big guy who is going to win those aerial duels and he just stays out of the way. And again, to use that Shaq analogy, he just sort of gently trots his way up the pitch because these teams are so good at keeping the, the ball to get to a point. And again, we saw this with Haaland time and time again last year. He was a cheat code at that back post if you were able to get that cross from that dangerous area on the 18-yard line to someone like Haaland a lot of the time. So you could go and do that. You know, I wonder if a team like... Wolves are a team that sort of drive with the ball a lot of the time, so it doesn't really work. But they've got some big... I can't remember what the name of his, that striker is. What's the name of the guy? He scored against Everton, Kai. I'm sure you can tell me. Sasha Kalajic. There you go. I'm not going to try and say that. Kalajic, I think he said. So, yeah, but he's enormous. There is like... There is a possibility that you could be able to just... It could return back to that, to go and win that duel, just like Pep has done with Doku recently and maybe with Haaland as well. Final thing I wanted to put forward as a possible tactical trend is vertical rotation. So a, a sort of a, a different method from what we've been seeing, which has been inverted fullbacks a lot of the time. So generally you've got teams playing as a three. If you, We're focusing on the blues here. If you're watching on Spotify, don't worry if you're not. So the final thing being vertical rotation. So with vertical rotation, obviously we've seen a lot this season of those fullbacks coming in. Right, right at the start, obviously we've said, Cormac said about those inverted fullbacks, something that we'd seen one of, but we're seeing two of now and at different times and those underlapping runs as well. And I just wonder if it might be one, again, maybe okay, we're working around the same ideas here, but 
the the change between we've seen a centre back moving into centre midfield. Could we see a centre midfield and a and a striker swapping, but like wholeheartedly swapping? So you have that second striker that moves to again allow for displacing, to allow for those deep running uh, movements. I think we've seen that with Bellingham once again. Like, is he a forward? Is he a midfielder? Is he a striker? Are we going to see? Uh, do you think we might see more of that, or am I just? Is that a bit similar to the other things that we've kind of been talking about? I think the th- the, the thing I was trying to get across was instead of a, a moving moving in, it's more of a, a yeah, yeah, it's, it's moving, moving along. along. Uh, I really like this, like like an extreme false nine, like, uh, someone who who drops deep like a lot. I think, like, actually, yeah. When when I was reading through the notes, uh, like looking towards this, I thought that was a really good idea, and it, it definitely something you wouldn't expect because you do kind of get strikers who drop deep and help with build up and a little bit more active, but mm. to actually replace one of the holding midfielders and allow another player to rotate, I think it just adds another dynamic of how you could move the team and how you could create the patterns that you want to create. So like if the striker dropped deep as one of the two holding midfielders, then the fullback could invert, but he could invert much further up the pitch. So then if you have someone who's capable, who's strong, who's good physical in the center, you could end up having, for example, your attacking midfielder and your right back are your two most advanced players and your striker and holding midfielder are creating like little patterns in the center. I think it's, it's, it's not too far-fetched. You just need to have the right players that could, that could do something like this. I think yeah. that there was an example when Chelsea played with Havertz up top. Um, obviously, it wasn't their best season. They struggled quite a lot. Uh, but he did often drop deep to help during build-up. And sometimes he would end up near the defensive line, uh, trying to link up play with the holding midfielder and the centre-backs. Uh, but then I don't know how much of that was pre-planned or how much of that is him just recognising space and wanting to drop deep. But if you did have the right players that could then push forward and coordinate their movements, I could see it creating a lot of issues for the back line. Because, I don't know, yeah, does the defence follow the striker into the centre of the pitch? Do they Mm. sit back and then you end up with a lot of space between the lines? There's so many different things that it could potentially unlock that I think is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, often you see it it in the build-up phase sometimes with... Uh, you know, someone like say a fullback will look to go, or even there might be a sort of three-quarter ping to from the goalkeeper to to that player, and the the left winger or right winger will then kind of step into this area, and that could allow for a forward to go down the line again as well. So there are always these uh, you know relationships in a game of football. I think Arsenal's an interesting one for me. That I wonder if someone put forward the idea of Gabriel Jesus playing as that that eight that they're trying to kind of totally figure out. But I was just wondering, why don't you just swap Havertz and, and Jesus all the time? Like that felt like that feels like a solution for me because I think Jesus has a great tenacity, ability to dribble with the ball a lot of the time, and with Kai Havertz, there's a desire for him to be in the box. So, can you move these two a little bit more? Because I think at times we've actually seen Kai Havertz come and step out here, so Martinelli can come a bit more centrally. Martinelli, uh, sorry, uh, Havertz going out wide but is that actually the best use of him when you could have a better rotation with him and someone like Gabriel Jesus I just think yeah we've seen a lot of uh, sort of out to in and maybe a sort of uh, in possession a centre-back moving into centre midfield fair enough but I, I wonder if we'll see a little bit more a little bit higher up the pitch the uh, only in thing the, that in comes to mind for me is m- maybe a potential issue with having uh, players making vertical runs at, for support is that it just compacts the centre a lot more and then if you have your fullbacks inverting, potentially that does free up channels out wide into the wingers for 1v1. But if the fullbacks stay wide, then and it's the strikers dropping deep, I don't know how much space that would actually free up because yeah, you'd have to... Yeah, well, you, uh, I don't know how... I don't it's know also how, about yeah. body language, I think, at times. You know, so if like there's, I used to, when I used to play, there's a, there's a simple rule that I would say, if I was playing centre midfield with another guy, I would say... If I'm in front of you, that means you've got to stay back. <laughs> so like, that's so simple. And I, right, this is very basic football here, right? But sometimes you'd have, I'd go, you'd, I'd make a run into the box or something like that. And then he would go and make a run. I go, if you can see me in front of you, you're the last guy. So sit, right? And I, I wonder if, again, with the Jesus and the Havertz, is that if, if, Je, if Jesus uh, has got his back to goal, that's, your, that's Havertz's trigger to, to make the run if he wants to make the run. 
But if he's not, if he's facing that way, then it's stupid. You need to stay where you are. So maybe it's it's about, again, that interaction with each other, which again comes back to that, that mix between positional football and relationism, which I think relationism will, people will dive into it more and more. Um, but then people will, I think the route out of it is often positionalism defensively, I think sometimes. Yeah, so especially it depends yeah. where the players are, right? Well, so defense will go back to rigid structures at the back to try and just stop. You do your thing on the ball, and we'll just wait for you to come, and then we'll hit you on the counter. Mate, Mate, exactly, exactly. Like, it never ends. It never ends. Um, but it's good fun. It is good fun. Uh, yeah. Any more for any more? I think that's. I think that's it. In terms of the initial ideas that we've got, obviously other things will reveal themselves, and we we will both be here to talk about it, won't we? Definitely. Uh, definitely. Thank you so much, mate. I really, really appreciate having a chat with you. Hopefully people have uh, enjoyed it. Uh, and if you want to see what we're doing, I- I'm going to put this up on YouTube as well. But if you want to see it before then, you can do on Spotify. If you are on the Spotify app, then do us a favor and follow and, and give us a five-star rating. There's a link in the description to Cormac's channel. It's called Football Meta. That's Football Meta. It's an unbelievable channel. I cannot speak highly enough of it. It's my channel of the year. Honestly, I, I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. You're brilliant. And uh, it's been great chatting with you, mate. So uh, all the best for next year. Hopefully we can meet in person soon. That would be great. And, Thank uh, you so much, mate. This was yeah, yeah so man. much fun and honestly kind of surreal for me to, to get to talk to you. I can't <laughs> lie. <laughs> really? Uh, that, that's surreal to hear. Um, right, guys. Uh, right, enough of this. Enough of this loving. Um, we'll see you very, very soon. Amazing podcast on the way. This is The Ripple Effect. Hope you've enjoyed yourself. Goodbye. 